Welcome to Emil Franzink's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And howdy, 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 Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Yeah, happy National Day of the Cowboy, Harry. Thank you. Happy Happy National Day of the Cowboy. Back at you, sir. I'll this, take that. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West for Saturday, July the 27th, which is the uh, celebration National Day of the Cowboy. You know, probably should mention in a side, this is also the National Day of the Buffalo Soldier. That's right, it is. Yeah. Both very important days. Exactly. And also, uh, what was it, uh, Victory Day in Korea, I believe, wasn't that? Wasn't I, it? I think that, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was the, the end of the, not the end of the Korean War, because they're still marching back mm-hmm. and forth there on the DMZ, but... <laughs> but, so, anywho, it is... Uh, it was a great day. We uh, what did we do this morning, Harry? Well, Bunker and I went down to the Empire Ranch and uh, we moseyed about. Moseyed about. I like that word, mosey. <laughs> Ambled around, talked with a bunch of folk, yeah. and saw some folk we haven't seen in a long time. Got to do some visiting, which is an old kind of down home western yep. cowboy kind of thing to do. Watched uh, uh, and listened to. Uh, our friend Doug Hawking do a, a lecture on uh, the Bascom affair, <laughs> and we had him on the show a few months back talking about his book, uh-huh. and it was a it was a fun lecture. Doug he gets a, he gets into it. He gets to giggling and laughing at his own yeah. stuff. Yes, right? yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a that was a fun time. They had all kinds of neat things down there. There was. A, uh, well, there was a. Guy. I should have brought the list that had all the vendors yeah. and things that went. I didn't know. Well, there was a, They had a, some somebody out there uh, doing leather. There was a blacksmith out there. Oh, Dick Shore was mm-hmm. doing uh, Rayetta braiding, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Bill Shock was doing uh, uh, ranch ranch equipment. Mm-hmm. You, you know, explaining some of the different uh, gadgets and tools that have worked around the ranch. Yeah, from the time we were out there, I I reckon there must have been. Oh, maybe three hundred people out there. Hopefully, maybe, maybe more. Maybe more. Yeah, and we left early, so yeah. I'm, and they were still coming in. Yeah, they were. Yeah, it was a good. It was a beautiful weather. A bit warm, but hey, it's well, that that's time of year. It was a lot cooler than here. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year. So yeah. uh, it was a a, a fun time. Uh, at least well, I I had a, a you know, fun time. Before we go and get because we sink into our topic and forget about everything we that should we be do. doing. Tell our our rabid, I hope they're rabid, but not rabid rabid, (laughs) uh, fans out there or people that listen in or somebody that just happened to find us, if they want to get in touch with it, how can they email us? Uh, email the, email at this point is going to be the best. Voices of the West at gmail.com. Voices of the West at gmail.com. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page. It's uh, facebook.com slash voices of the West. And I am looking at that right now, just waiting for somebody to say yeah, something. Faces. Uh, <laughs> Facebookers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, usually there's a phone number involved here, but uh, that's uh, not working. Technical difficulty. Not working at this point in time. So uh, unfortunately, there's something that happens between the phone call, the gadget over here. Harry knows what it is, and then the getting the gadget back to us. So it's not not having enough string. Oh, there's a message from Doug Hawking. Good to see you and Bunker today. Hope you enjoyed the bacon. Yes, we thoroughly enjoyed the bacon, Doug. Oh, uh, hey, that was that yummy was, stuff. We didn't even wait till to no. get to the highway. Oh, we had heavens, to no. ate them puppies down like you wouldn't believe. Just as just after we left the ranch property, <laughs> I was done. <laughs> oh, so Harry, it's a wonder he didn't lose a couple of I fingers. Know. He was wolfing it down so fast. Well, that or lose control of the truck. <laughs> Big white vehicle, Ohio silver, Ohio silver, Silverado, yeah. yeah. So we had a wonderful time down there, uh, listening to Doug and talking with Doug and seeing Debbie. And Debbie, the, De- Debbie, Debbie yeah. made the uh, the quiche for us with bacon, and they say real men don't do quiche. And, and New Mexico had chilies in there. And New Mexico, uh, that's See, what that's made what it made it work. Yeah. It's the New yeah. Mexico touch. Yep, anything that's got the touch in New Mexico is is enchanted. That's exactly right. So. Uh, <laughs> It, it, I, had, I had a great time down there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like I said, a bit warm. One of our sponsors was down there, uh, uh, Horsing Around Rescue. We didn't see Steve Boyce, but uh, he was down there. Oh, well, his reps were there. Yeah. 
doing so, a wonderful uh, job. It was a it was a, a wonderful time was had by all. And you know, I just want to mention to folks out there: if you haven't been down to the Empire Ranch, you need to go down there. They every they have uh, well, I think it's what is it, the second and fourth Saturday they have Dolsons mm-hmm. down there giving tours at eleven o'clock. Or if you don't want to, oh, wait, you can go, go anytime. The anytime. house is open. 360, 360, 24-7, 365. Yeah. And, and 366 and And I'll tell you what, it's the gra- it's greened up down there really mm-hmm. good. I was down there about two weeks ago on volunteer day, and it had the rains, but it was still, you know, some of the grass was still kind of yellowing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, last year's, but the green is uh, popping up. It's looking great. And uh, and it's a beautiful way to spend a day. And, you know, when you get finished down there, you know, you can always drop down into Sonoida and and grab a burger at one of the places or drink there in the steakhouse. Yeah. And, or just boogie on over to Patagonia. Yeah. That's a great. That's a, you know. I don't know why more people don't make that loop down there on weekends. You know, take your friends and relatives. Everything is just down the road a piece. Yeah. You know, it's, hey, uh, it's like forty-five minutes to an hour, depending on what part of town you're coming from. Well, that's from Tucson, and uh, <clears throat> essentially you head uh, east, like you're going to El Paso, but you get off at the Sonoida exit. And, I certainly hope so. And then you go to, uh, you follow the signs to Sonoida, and uh, just before Sonoida, you'll see the turn off to the Empire. Mm-hmm. About four miles before mm-hmm. Sonoda, there's a sign there, and mm-hmm. generally on the, it's on the left-hand side, and generally there's, if there's something going on like today, there's a big banner on the fence. Yeah. So it's pretty hard to miss. Yeah, yeah. So, National Day of the Cowboy, this is something... I don't know the exact origins of it. Well, it started American Cowboy Magazine about ten years ago. I think I think this is the tenth year. They started. Actually, they started it before that, but they started uh, a campaign pushing for this, mm-hmm. and then a lot of a lot of. Uh, Westerners throughout the, the Southwest and up in the Northwest, you know, they liked the idea. They started getting behind it and, mm-hmm. and you know, <clears throat> bugging their congressmen and senators. And eventually, somebody, you know, brought it up in the at Congress to, and. You know, it was nonpartisan, so, you know, it, you know I'll, I'll put it this way. Anybody that voted against the National Day of the Cowboy, they ought to take them out and shap them. Now, or, if you don't know what that, you know what that means, Harry? Or, or swing them? Well, no, that's that's a little. That's, no, but, no, that's not too. No, no, no. Well, just just dangle them a little while. And then no, let them down. all right, okay. all right. But chapping, that's an old. That was used to be kind of an old time punishment among among cowboys. If some guy just really, really was out of line and just needed straightening out, mm-hmm. they'd grab him, throw him down, and they'd take a pair of chaps. And smack them, and they'd you know they'd whack them up and down mm-hmm. the heel to head, and uh, when he's good and sore, you know they'd stop. But it worked. <laughs> Bet he didn't make that mistake again. <laughs> so anyway, uh, again the the origin of this holiday <clears throat> or celebration, I it's, think it's, it's a holiday. Both. I think um, it's, to me, it's both. It, it <clears throat> excuse me. You got a frog there? Yeah, <clears throat> I got bacon stuck. <clears throat> oh, no, folks. Now, uh, we... I just hope if you have a frog in your throat, it's not one of them leopard frogs down there down there from the ranch. Nah, they're protected. Uh, the BLM would come after you. I think it's one of uh, Uncle Alfred's frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Alvin's frogs? Uncle Alvin's frogs, yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, in Arizona... The, we Bunker and I organized the first event uh, down at the Empire a couple of years ago. Actually, we participated mm-hmm. in the organization. Yeah, and, and uh, so it, it was a pretty cool turnout. Mm-hmm. This is the second year, it was a better turnout. Doubled up. And, and then last year, it was a great turnout, and this year, it was most excellent turnout. Well, and we were the, the Empire, and uh, where was it? Pre- Prescott, Prescott, or Wickenburg? They, they were the first. You know. Uh, now, this is going back four years. Bear in mind, the National Day of the Cowboy had been around for about six years. Mm-hmm. They had not celebrated our great, wonderful politicians up in Phoenix and the great, wonderful <laughs> politicians down here in Pima County and mm-hmm. in the city. They just couldn't get it into their head that this was something that was important to people. Right. And finally, and it's just the serendipity, Prescott, the town went because that's cowboy town. It is. Uh, they Former got territorial it, capital, and 
the Empire Ranch because we had been we had been lobbying down mm-hmm. there for a while, and mm-hmm. at that time uh, Bobby Young had come on and his administrator, and Bobby was one of those kind of gals that you know she's an old horse gal, and she <laughs> she said you know this needs to be done, and yep. she just she just she actually just went ahead. We just went ahead. And she went ahead it. and did it. Yeah, you know we just and the rest of us just kind of trailed along. She's kind yeah. of like a lead steer on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, uh, I asked some folks while we were down there <clears throat> what this... Oh, have you got some spoken comments? I do, what this day meant oh, or cool. means to... I didn't to, know you were that busy. I know, it means to a lot of people. And uh, I ran into our friend John Camrata and asked him what he thought and why he thought this was such an important day. And here's what, hopefully, he had to say. No, he's not saying it. What the... Well, <laughs> Go on. Ah, Boom. There goes my left ear. You know, uh, here's here's what we're going to do. We're What's gonna, that? We're going to go back. Well, maybe you know, maybe John can email us what he said. No, I'm, I'm going to do it. You're going to read it? I'm going to do it. No, I can't read it. It's, oh. it's been recorded. I'm going to play it the old-fashioned way here. Oh, like the phone call? To be celebrate. What is National Cowboy, the National Day of the Cowboy for you? It's a tribute to America's treasure, the American Cowboy. Everything about America is represented with the cowboy. Integrity, uh, loyalty, honesty, and it's just a wonderful day to celebrate that legend, the American cowboy. What else can you say? Well, I tell you, I can tell you what President Bush said, and I can't tell you which President Bush it was, but in the words of the former President Bush, we celebrate the cowboy as a symbol of the grand history of the American West. The cowboy's love of the land and love of the cow country are examples for all Americans. There you go. There you go. And the Bush said it. You know, we, we talked about the origins of the of the American cowboy many shows ago with many uh, Lee about. Anderson. Well, many times, but we had a really good yeah. guest on, Lee Anderson uh, from the Phoenix area, and uh, and his horse it was with us too, um, talking about the origin of uh, the American cowboy, and it all stems from the vaquero, the Spanish. Uh, well, it starts with it starts with Cortez. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing six horses and conquering Mexico, and Cortez had the first brand in the in the in mm-hmm. the North America, the three crosses. Uh, I think later on uh, they brought, of course, they brought they lost some horses during that. Later on, they brought more horses and cattle, and uh, Mexico and the United, you know, the Western United States, Central. It was born for cattle. Yeah. And you know, and, and you know, we talk about you know how the cattle spread. When we very seldom ever talk about how the horses spread, and the yeah. horses actually spread further than the cattle did, and faster, and faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we wanted to uh, bring up some of the cool things about uh, what it means to be a cowboy or the cowboy. And I got, I got this great book when I was in Los Angeles a couple months ago by Philip Ashton Rollins. It's called The Cowboys, His Characteristics, His Equipment, and His Part in the Development of the West. I mean, th- this is like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's an A to Z book. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. What <laughs> what I found in here, and I'm, I'm gonna, just going to read a couple of things here from this, um, that essentially... Careful there, Harry. If I can hang we'll on to it. Don't get away from me. If I can, uh, uh, here, here we go. His universal universality of courage was an earmark of the cowboy's trade. Bravery was a prerequisite both to entering and to pursuing the vocation. When a man suddenly lost his riding nerve, as he occasionally did from his own serious illness or from witnessing distressing accident to a loved uh, companion, an accident such as plastered Bud Thompson's face with his brother's brains, that must have been a bad wreck, he sometimes <laughs> lost it forever, and with it his calling. Unless unhorsed by this infrequent cause, he rode until he received injury that promised permanence, or he sooner voluntarily retired. 
and you know, physical injury, uh, ordinarily the gift of uh, bucking, uh, and in the form of uh, hernia, <laughs> allowed to the average man but seven years of active riding, once dropped from the centaurs, whether through injury or, much rarer, loss of riding nerve. He still loved on horseback, but regretfully, humiliate, humiliatingly, re- I did this, used to do this for a living. What a living it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> refrained from hairpinning or forking at sight anything on four hoofs and restricted himself to such animals as supposedly were not vicious. Uh, <laughs> so basically, courage was needed elsewhere. Uh, than on the bucker's back or amid the cattle. The cowboy, by the nature of his work, was required from time to time to endure the pitless northern blizzard, to traverse the equally pitless southern desert, to fight the bandit or the Indian, to go a horse upon the mountain's cliffs or amid the river's whirlpools, to ride madly over ground pitted by the gopher and the badger, to face death often and much of the time when alone." Some wise old Westerner defined a cowboy as a man with guts and a horse. Well, you were waxing eloquent there, Harry. Thank you. Well, well see, I, I, I wish I had come up with the words, but I didn't. That's pitiless. Uh, well, I'm going to read you a little piece here. This is from the foreword uh, for a picture book, The American Cowboy, Tribute to a Vanishing Breed, uh, Michael Rutherford. Uh, he didn't write the book, but he took all of the wonderful, magnificent pictures in it, and the text was done by, who was this rascal's name? Larry Frisella. And this is the foreword, is from Charlie Daniels. Now, if you don't know who Charlie Daniels is, uh, I feel sorry for Yeah, him. pretty much. But anyhow, this is just a piece of the foreword. And it kind of, I like the way he puts it, because it's got a little bit of the, of the cowboy humor in it. Enough words have been written about the American cowboy to fill a considerable dry wash, and enough pictures have been snapped of him to paper the South Rim of the Grand Canyon. Generations of writers, photographers, and artists have churned out uh, megatons of books, movies, TV series, paintings, sculptures, and magazine articles extolling the romance of the mysterious figure in the big hat. (laughs) Now tell me, just what is so romantic about a man who gets up before the sun does seven days a week, mounts some half-ranked caballo, and rides over half the creation chasing stubborn, ornery cattle who would rather not be bothered? Through cactuses and catcalls, rocks and ravines and dust, dust and more dust. He lives for weeks on end, sleeping on the ground, a million miles from nowhere with no television, no shower, and no women. His world is sweat and saddle sores, horse flies and hangovers, rope burns and rattlesnakes. And that, and he's paid slightly less than a part-time lightning bug trainer, so, what is it all about then? Then, hmm. then he just now see that's that's telling it. That's just beautiful. And he goes on just a little bit further down here. I like this because this is kind of he's kind of expanding the understanding of cowboy. Mm-hmm. For one thing, he is not to be confused with the razor cut. Bangled, bedecked, two-gun Superman who gallops across the silver screen in a silver-mounted saddle, <laughs> facing down bad men and squiring golden-haired girls with white teeth. And then a little further on it goes, and for the most part, the rodeo cowboy is a different breed too. Mm-hmm. Part devil, uh, part daredevil, part athlete. He's also a colorful character, but that's another story. <laughs> Well, here's a, let's see. He is a man of contradiction. He dances into a different fiddler and looks at the world through a different eye. And this is one last piece here that Charlie said. He says, there are no unions and no retirement plans. You know, that probably is what attracted so many people. They were their own boss. Yeah. 
I mean, they worked for a boss, but they were pretty much on their own. You got expected be, to know what they were supposed to do and do it. Yeah, it was it pretty much that. It was like you you went out in the morning, the the segundo lined out where everybody was going, what they were going to do, and it was up to you. You were expected to do it, and nobody nobody was there looking over your shoulder no, to see that you did it, unless you were sleeping uh, on a log someplace, and the foreman come up and. I don't think that happened. I don't either. I don't. You know, it, it's just like you, something that you said there, and I can't. I can't really remember it. Was the time you said it? It kind of popped in my head that, you know, because that's one of the things too. You know, like when we talk about the cowboy, uh, the cowboy has kind of become so iconic and so mythic that sometimes the cowboy gets lost in his own mm-hmm. mythology. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the Hollywood, you know, print the legend stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about, you know, the cowboy code and the stuff. And, you know, and it's like, well, a cowboy's word is his honor, his handshake is his bond. But I've known cowboys, I'll tell you what, that after I shook their hand, I'd reach back to make sure I still had my wallet. Because they're men just like anybody else, and and they have the same flaws that everybody else has. They are fallible. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I'd I'd sure as hell trust a cowboy before I trust a lawyer. Well, who wouldn't? (laughs) As as Emil would say. (laughs) Anywho, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. we got to do that first, very first commercial break. And I hope you uh, check out our sponsors because they're good people. They love this show. And, uh, well, if you're in the Tucson area, you can love these sponsors as well. Even if you're not in the Tucson area, we have some sponsors who can help you out. Arizona Computer Guru is one of those. And uh, they can uh, take care of things for you computer-wise and and such. So we will be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very important messages. Stay tuned. Voices of the West will be right back. I won't rest until I have her by my side. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. As we recommend recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform. Let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Voices of the West. And we are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It is a Saturday, July the 27th. This is a national day of the cowboy, and by golly, that's what we're talking about. And you know, it's just funny, the the lead into the music there was from Wild Wild West. Yep. And that's a funny, fun show. I watch it and I enjoy it, but there. 
there's hardly a lick of cowboy in it anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's just it's it's just steampunk. Yeah. And, and it's but it's still fun because it yeah. still celebrates the West in its own way. That's it's entertainment. That's yeah, bi- just, just, it's just bottom entertainment. line entertainment. <laughs> Don't get too serious. <laughs> yeah, really. Like we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this is an interesting thing. I think you know we're talking about cowboys and the things, but you know the Spaniards really. They are the foundation of the cattle industry, and the you know when they came here, they brought the Arab over here. That was the horse that they used. But these weren't just ordinary Arabs; these were war horses. Mm-hmm. And from that, you know, that's the our our modern Mustang is the descendant of the of the uh, of the Arab barbs and whatnot. Now, of course, over the years. You know, other breeds that would get away from the ranches and stuff would breed in, but the but with the Mustang, the dominant bloodline is still going back to old Spain. Mm-hmm. And you know, talk about you know, here's a horse that weighed about 600 pounds. Now, six to you know, big one might go 800, but most of them you're talking like 600 pounds. Still a big now, animal. The old Yellowbacks, the old Texas Longhorns, they were running about 2,000 pounds, about a ton. Wow. I mean, if you ever been out to the Autry Museum, which you've been out there, yes. you saw that steering. Yes, that was a that big thing. That thing was, was bigger than a Humvee. Mm-hmm. And they're out there working them things, roping them. Talk about tough and guts. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's it. I, I guess that's what makes it so romantic is that... It, I don't it, see it as romantic. I know no, people do, but yeah, I don't. No, but, yeah. no. From the standpoint that, okay, I, I was born in the city. Yeah. Right? I and, noticed that, Harry. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and uh, so that makes it, you know, to be able to do those kinds of things, that's a fantasy. And I guess yeah. that's what makes it so romantic. You did that. You did that stuff in the film, in the motion picture industry. So to you, it's just another day at work. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas, well, all right, let's take the first time you came in to, the, to be on this show. Yeah. It was something that was new to you. Uh, not positive on a lot of things and not sure what to do, blah, blah, blah. But, I'm still that way. Well, but you're, you've gotten through it. You've gotten through a lot of stuff. Uh, I've I got a cowboy bluff going on. No. <laughs> you're not pulling a ace up your sleeve there, are you? <laughs> Those short sleeves? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that, I think that, that's what I was trying well, you know, to get to. That's I, what I was trying to get to was the... Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I, I apologize for jumping on your saying... Oh. No, because, you know, it. the, the romanticism is... One of the reasons that it doesn't keep the cowboy alive, but it's what keeps the cowboy in people's minds. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got you got to go back to uh, Buffalo Bill's Wild West. Well, he was reenacting what was going on out there. Yeah, but it was it was dramatized a little over the top. Well, certainly, it was and, like Hollywood. <laughs> well, it was he was the father of modern modern show business yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, but and. To the guys doing it, the cowboys doing it, it you know I'm, I got to say you you're right in a sense because it it was it was romantic to them because they weren't being cowboys they were cowboys playing cowboys mm-hmm. and they admit that sometimes they'd stick a wig on them and paint them up you can't do that anymore no <laughs> and they'd be Indians you know they, yeah. but they had you know sitting bulls with Wild Bill I mean not Wild Bill but Buffalo Bill mm-hmm. and yeah they're. I think I think what what I was trying to say is, when you're doing it, it's like any job. When you're doing it, it's not that. It's like it's like you know when I was in the service. You know, it, there was nothing there was nothing wonderful or romantic about being in the Navy. Mm-hmm. But now being a veteran, I look back on it with pride and honor. And sure, but my attitude was yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. Another example when my kids found out. Uh, or were old enough to understand what their father did for a living, um, and they ran away from home. They probably should have. <laughs> um, their friends, when they would tell their friends, you know, what your dad do, and uh, they would tell them, tell their friends, ooh, yeah. you know, as a, and well, truth be known, I got into radio because I wanted to meet girls. <laughs> 
and uh, yeah, music was doing it, but they didn't like the drummer. They never, <laughs> girls never went for the drummer. So yeah. unless your name's Ringo, yeah, uh, and even then, um, so uh, radio was the next uh, next logical spot. And <laughs> yeah, anyway, it that that's you got something else there you want? I read do, here, I do. Uh, the the puncher rarely complained. He associated complaints with quitting, and he was no quitter. Custom, however, allowed guarded criticisms of the cook, though these strictures were made with an amusing risk. Whoever ragged the cook was subject to be impressed by him for 24 hours as an, ins- as an assistant or a complete substitute. What do they call that on wagon train? Uh, mm. What does Wishbone call the cook's assistant on wagon train? Oh, Swamper. So, no, 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 oh, no okay. not that. That's in the bars. Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, out of this grew the story of the cowboy who, by diplomacy, saved his initial blatancy, for he's reported to have said, "This bread is all burned." But gosh, that's the way I like it. <laughs> there was often grounds for adverse comments on the cuisine. The average ranch cook might well have been defined as a man who had a fire, who knew the, who drew the same wages that he would have earned if he had uh, known how to cook. He, <laughs> he ordinarily had been a cowboy, and in many instances, his idea of culinary art had originated seemingly from atop a bucking horse. <laughs> Very few establishments had a Chinaman in the kitchen. But such an attempt at luxurious living was not typical of the cattle country. <laughs> you know, one thing to add to that, too, is, you know, because it makes it kind of sound like the camp cook had just got out there and burned the biscuits. Uh-huh. And the fact is that the competition among ranchers for cooks was was tremendous because cowboys would quit an, a good outfit sure. to go to another outfit if they had because, a better cook. Yeah, uh, it just... <laughs> You try and do that in the age of sailing. Uh, you try and do that as well. If yeah. you had a, a person on board who could not cook, well, you try and join another ship's company if you could, or toss the cook over. But usually, you would have to end up cooking. <laughs> well, just well, you know, I, I'm sure the army is like the navy in that sense. Is you know that one of the things that had happened to you right after you get out of uh, out of boot camp. And you're going into advanced training or something like that. You'd almost always pull two weeks or more mm-hmm. of mess mess mm-hmm. duty. And I mean, you think about this. You got you got guys in there that know what they're doing when it comes to the cooking. Yeah. But the guys helping them, they they don't know. They're than mud. Yeah. I was. I know. Oh, I know. At times, I had KP. It was. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand why we're doing this, but. Okay. <laughs> but you can peel a potato. I can peel a potato with the best of them. we got to do another uh, commercial break here. Uh, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. For Saturday, July the 27th, we are talking about the National Day of the Cowboy and Cowboys in general. I'm Harry Alexander Bunker. Francis here, too. Yeah. We'll be back with much more right after these very important messages. Do stay tuned. <laughs> Spark and I'll run out the rig and we'll go driving down the lane. For the moon is mellow and the wise old owl says we won't be bothered by rain. Abel Francis, Voices of the West, will be right back. Old Dobbin will understand that a boy. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Man, this is frustrating. 
It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage. Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? Uh-huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh-huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh-huh. Call Arizona Computer Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus-free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304-8300 or at azcomputerguru.com. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horses Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horses Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubbs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. Watch classic Western movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. You hear that? Sure as the Lord made little green apples, we're fixing ourselves a twisty. A what? Twisty. You can tell the way the heat's a-building up and the way the wind's a-whistling around our chunker. Did you ever see the wind blow a rooster in a jug? Well, I did. Ain't nothing that'll make your innards more squeamy than the first-class pure old twisty wheel. What's a twisty? Well, it's a, it's a big old stout wind, something like a cyclone. Voices of the West. We are back on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West, Saturday, July the 27th, National Day of the Cowboy. You ever see a rooster in a jug, Harry? A rooster in a bottle? Uh, only on gun smoke. Yeah, well, it was a twisty wind. Twisty wind, good old Festus Hagen. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want, I want to kind of bring us bring us up to date to the cowboys showing up in texas and because one of the things is that as the the old yellowbacks the longhorns uh multiplied in mexico they moved north and of course the vaqueros followed them Mm -hmm. and eventually they ended up with some pretty good sized ranches in texas this is before the anglos started coming over before the texas revolution and all that and one of the things though that's interesting is that these vaqueros, they were basically, you know, we think we think of the Mexican as a Mexican. Well, the the true Mexican is an Indian, mm-hmm. and these were peons. Mm-hmm. And the law of, of Spain was that a peon or a, a common man could not own or ride a ho- or even ride a horse. Mm-hmm. That was reserved for the caballero, for the for the nobility. royalty, nobility, mm-hmm. uh, aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And when they got to Mexico, you know, with the, the way these multiplied, there was no way they could do it. And so they were trained. And one of the things in their training was that they were trained like the Mex- like the caballeros were, which was the Spanish school. It was, you know, military discipline. And these guys were like, you know, they were besides knowing cattle, 
learning them from the early days, they were disciplined in what they did, and some of the finest horse trainers still in the world. Well, time moves on, and now we're up in Texas. The Cowboys come on. And I just want to point out, too, that the uh, early Cowboys in Texas weren't really Cowboys. They were, well, what was it? Cattle hunters is what they called them. Hmm. And, and they didn't, they, you know, these guys weren't wearing boots. They were wearing uh, moccasins and buckskin. And they were cattle entirely different. But I want to read this one little thing here because this is kind of cool in a way. Another thing the Mexicans left behind was their cow sense. Now, this is speaking after the Alamo and they, mm-hmm. they had... Uh, the the the, the the Mexicans and that were up there ranchers that hadn't been scared out by the Comanche, mm-hmm. they fled into Mexico after that mm-hmm. and left behind, you know, vast herds of cattle. Okay. Okay. So this is their calcine. Everything they had taught the new settlers and even their Negro slaves. Mm-hmm. That, that's what was interesting to me mm-hmm. because. And this is another show, but slavery under the Spaniards was entirely different than what was America saw on the East Coast. Right. Because they could work their way out of it. They could own property. But people don't realize after the Civil War, close to one quarter of all cowboys in the West were black. That's right. And when you got into Arizona, New Mexico, Texas... The majority of the cowboys were vaqueros because this was these was all Spanish territory. So anyhow, moving on from that, it says the vaqueros saddle, quirt, bit, battle, spurs, and lariat were in Texas to say, and so were many of the vaqueros themselves. They had only been peons under the rich Mexican landowners, but they were right there showing the settlers how to use the tools of their trade. And actually, they were they were the teachers and the cowboy. They weren't you know these were young guys, but they were they were savvy. They followed. The, they saw these guys and they said it works for them. Mm-hmm. It'll work for me. Besides being taught and observing, and that's basically how the cowboy evolved into what he is today. Mm-hmm. Now a slight difference is if you go out to California, the Californios. They were running cattle 50 years before anybody moved, before any Mexicans moved into Texas. Right, right. And they had a whole different way of doing it. In fact, one of their ideas of fun was to go out and rip, rope a grizzly bear and then bring him into town. <laughs> so, you know, cowboying is a wild and woolly way of making business. Yeah, cow, and I want to say cow hunters, that was what they called the early, earlier cowboys in Texas because that hadn't, the term hadn't really come about yet. Mm-hmm. We we see in a lot of uh, uh, movies about the West, the old West, the B movies, the newer movies, my favorite, the you know just about any show about the old West. Uh, we we see a lot of people with nicknames. Oh yeah, and, and the West also. Yeah, we, tell me, Grizzly. The, the, <laughs> the West. The, <laughs> It's a good one. The West <laughs> reserved the right to select a nickname for a man and to substitute it for the appellation which he himself had proffered. Though in doing so, there was intended no reflection upon his truthfulness. Hence, each section of the range had its shorty, slim, skinny, fatty, squint, or red as a prefix to Bill or Jack or Brown or Smith. Or Hoppy. It, yeah, it's Texas Joe, Arizona Kid, Missouri Jim. It's cat's cat eye, hair lip, freckles, or whatever a prefix was to Riley Jones or White. Sandblast Pete, now dead and gone, the smallpox virus that pitted your face and gave you your name never pitted your heart. You proved that one night in the desert when you were almost exhausted and you went forth alone and obtained help for a stranded party of strangers. So, there there you go. Uh, the origins of, of nicknames. <laughs> well, here's another little piece, and this is kind of moving on from what I just said about, you know, the industry moving up out of Mexico. Mm-hmm. It says, it took the cattle industry some 30 years to fan out from Texas, using Texans themselves and men recruited from the east. The year 1866 saw one of the largest and most famous cattle drives 
the drive immortalized by Howard Hawks, John Wayne, and Montgomery Cliff in the 1948 uh, film Red River. During this drive, more than and this is this is actually an, an incorrect. It says during this drive, more than 260,000 Longhorns were taken across the Red River. I think what he meant to say was over time, mm-hmm. because that drive was there was no way. Uh, I, I don't think you could drive 260,000 cows. It'd be like herding yeah. chickens or cats. <laughs> but anyhow, it goes or on. Or frogs. <laughs> yeah, go, let's see. Let's just finish this up real quick so you can read what you got. Oh, no, no, no that's good enough, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Continue. No, I, I, well, the rest of the stuff is just talking about the, the uh, destinations that they were going to. Well, there, there's there's talk about the cowboy code and, and, and dealing with women. And uh, a, a woman journeying alone upon the open range was as safe as though in her own house, excepting only when there were danger from Indians or from border Mexicans. Any passing ranchman could be impressed into an escort. Many a school marms has, sometimes alone, sometimes accompanied by a conscripted attendant, ridden from the fringe of the settlements to her little school and in some hamlet far out on the plains. Any violation of this code meant the hangnot of the vigilance committee, or on occasion the latter's more terrible staking out, wherein the culprit, minus eyelids, face to the sun, was laid upon an anthill of giant size, wrists and ankles tied to pegs in the ground, to lose in a few minutes his mi- uh, to lose a few in a few minutes his mind, and in a few hours the final vestige of his flesh. Ouch! That would smart. I reckon. I reckon it would. <laughs> well, I got a I got a little quote here. This is the the fellow that. Uh, Mike, whatever his name was here, that wrote the picture, uh, the, did the picture book here, and he's talking about, he's talking to this fellow, and the fellow says, he said, the fellow says he would argue with anybody who said that cowboys were a vanishing breed, and this is what he said. There are lots of cowboys left, but those aren't, but there aren't many cowmen left, men that know cattle, men that know cows, those men are almost gone. And, again, that's kind of true and kind of not true. Mm-hmm. Cause you got guys like Bill Shock down there by Sonoda and, and you know, uh, like Steve Boyce when they were running the Empire. These guys knew cattle and they knew what they did. Now, what he's implying there is the guys that worked for him didn't know them like the ranchers, mm-hmm. but there's also ranchers out there that don't know the business like the cowboys that are working for them. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's got to be careful with this stuff when you're reading it. Got You got to use a little common sense and logic. Like, uh, like Doug said at the beginning of his basketball fair yeah. talk. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, there just isn't a whole lot of that going around these yeah. days. Well, it's like, it's like being a politician. Uh, well, yeah. Exactly. They say a lot, and they're smart men, and they don't know a damn thing about what they're talking about. I was watching on uh, uh, PBS the uh, American Experience about the moon moonshot, yeah. and uh, uh, there was an interview shortly after the Apollo 1 accident where the three astronauts died in the fire, and uh, testimony going on in court, and I think Frank Borman was the one being quoted. Frank Borman, a Tucson High School graduate, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he, he says... The voiceover on camera says that these Congress people are, are taking questions from people, asking these questions with no follow-up. They haven't got an iota of what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. We got to do our final commercial break here, and yes, we'll come back yes. with uh, some more uh, about uh, the Cowboys here on this National Day of the Cowboy. I'm Harry Alexander, along with Bunker de France. This is Emil Franzi's of Voices of the West. We'll be back right after this. these important messages. Way down south of the borderline, there's a pretty little gal I've got in mind who's waiting, waiting, waiting. She said last year she'd sure be mine, so I guess right now is a pretty good time for maiden, maiden, maiden. Abel Franzi's Voices of the West will be right back. And strapped against his hide. Sun is bright, the world's all right, so now away I'll ride to meet the gal. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, Visit armyhistory.org. Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. BOW Radio. of the West. For this young man, you can shed your tears. He's ruined his old man. He went to college 14 years. Now he plays in the cowboy band. Sing, 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 yippee, You can hear music every day that sound like an old tin pan, but the music you love is the kind we play with a loony cowboy band. I just thought that was a great one. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad you played that because you're talking about a cowboy band, and if it doesn't have a fiddle in it, I don't think it's a cowboy band. Yeah, or an accordion, yeah, uh, a squeeze box. Uh, that was. Uh, but what about French horns? Uh, well, that's for movie soundtracks. Yeah, that, that's a camarada thing. Uh, <laughs> playing in the cowboy band, Rudy Scooter and his Californians. I forget what. Uh, what B movie that comes from? I think a Johnny Mac Brown movie. Uh. Well, you know, before before we wrap all this up because we're running out of time, I want to mention a couple of books for you guys out there that like to do research and stuff because these are good books. I I could give you a dozen more besides these, but I'm just going to cold it down to about five. Uh, a Texas Cowboy by Charles Seringo, The Log of a Cowboy by Andy Adams, which I think. It's almost iconic. I think everybody knows that one. But I do want to point out that it's a novel, not, mm-hmm. not but it's based. It's kind of an autobiographical novel, mm-hmm. so it's it's like about as close and accurate as a novel can be without being nonfiction. No, right? And then this book really. The Vaqueros Genesis of the Texas Cowboy by Bill Whitliff, and. Uh, Bill Whitliff also is one one of the fellows that produced and is one of the screenwriters for uh, Lonesome Dove. Mm-hmm. And but he spent three years down in Mexico on this one ranch, hmm. and with working with the Vaqueros, and it's really an in-depth uh, experience of cowboy and like it was because they, they still. It hasn't changed that much no. in Mexico. No. It hasn't changed that much here. No. And then the other one is the American Cowboy. Tribute to a Vanishing Breed, uh, Michael, that's the Michael Rutherford, that's the one I referred earlier to. And then one I really highly recommend is The Cowboy and His Horse by Sidney Fletcher. And he also does the uh, all the illustrations, no photos, it's just artwork. Mm-hmm. And his artwork is like, I'll put it up there, you know, with 
with the you know it gets all you know pen and ink and and wash, but I'll put it up there with Remington and Russell for mm-hmm. quality and accuracy. And the book I'd like to pass on is the one that I'm quoting from here called The Cowboy. His characteristics, his equipment, and his part in the development of the West. It's written by Philip Ashton Rollins. It's called The Cowboy, and it's really, really good. You know, The Cowboy was quite apt to talk in quizzical terms. Jim Stebbins and Joe, we don't know his last name, accompanied a military detachment during the Sioux Campaign of 1876. In a skirmish, the horse of one of them fell and laid a stunned rider on the ground. There ran toward this man a squaw armed with one of the stone-headed, long-handled hammers known as skullcrackers and used by Indian women for crushing the heads of wounded enemies. The semi-insensible puncher was recalled to action by his companion's announcement, Look out, Jim, there's a lady coming. (laughs) Dave Rudio of Oregon and Texas thus described the Texas Rangers killing of a renegade. The ranger came up and said quietly, You're wanted, you better come along peaceable-like. The outlaw, he began to throw talk. The ranger, he said, don't act up. Be sensible and come along with me. The outlaw, still John, started to reach. He hadn't a tenderfoot's chance at that game for the ranger. He just whirled out his own gun, and that outlaw stopped plumb short of talking to the ranger and began a conversation with St. Peter. <laughs> Yo, Pete, I was just talking to this Texas Ranger a minute ago. Well, you know, I've got I've got an interesting quote here. Okay. And this is from Mark Twain from his Roughing It. And what's interesting is, you know, we watch, you go to the movies and most of the time, almost ninety nine percent of the time in a western, they've got real pretty scenery. Mm-hmm. Well, when you go when you run from uh Texas all the way out to California, especially in the southern part of these states. Is this a description? It could be any one of them. There was not a tree in sight. There was no vegetation but the endless sagebrush and greasewood. All nature was gray with it. We were plowing through the great deeps of alkali dust that rose up in thick clouds and floated across the plain like smoke from a burning house. Hmm. And you, you know, and it's true. You know, like you look around Tucson, and people talk about the beauty of the desert. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it does have its own kind of mystic beauty. Oh, sure. But yeah. you got to squint real hard a lot of the time. Frequently, <laughs> <laughs> especially at high noon. Okay, here we go. This is another one. This is this guy is H. H. Haskell. He was a Texas uh, rancher and Indian fighter, and this comes from his book Cowboys and Cattleman. The real Western cowboy was clean and had pride because he knew his life was leading. It was all he had, and he made the most of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do some quotations. You know, the, the best movies that portray the end days of the cowboy, uh, I don't know if end days is the right word, but... Monty Walsh is where I'm going. I think it's it's a... It's a because, you know, one of the things is Monty Walsh takes place a good portion of it in the bunkhouse. Yeah. Not just out there working yeah. the cattle, which yeah. you got plenty of, but in the bunkhouse so that you see these guys, you know, and you see that kind of cowboy humor, like when they, when they take old, the old cookie, you know, <laughs> Ted Garing out there and give him a bath. And, yeah, they think that's hilarious. Well, they come back and then old cookie, he feeds them some croton oil, yep. which makes them all like, you know, about yep. a dozen cowboys trying to fit into one outhouse yeah, and at yeah, the same time, and, just one and the cookie thinks that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, this has uh, been a great program, I think, uh, National Day of the Cowboy. We'll do it again. Uh, next year. Next year. Yeah. Next week, next time we uh, meet with you, we'll, we've got a great one, I think. Uh, author Lance Dorrell, Dorrell uh, he's got a book out called A Dance with Death. An Irish soldier of fortune at the Little Bighorn. Keogh, Major, uh, well, not Captain Keogh. Yeah, I'm reading it right now, and I'm enjoying it. You know, it, I told Harry when I started it, it, it it almost reads like an Earl Flynn Western epic. <laughs> Looking back, you know, on that yeah. era when he was doing those big Western epics, like Santa Fe Trail. Yeah, yeah. 
anyway, that's our program for next week. I hope you're able to join us uh, either live at VoicesOfTheWest.net. Uh, the show streams uh, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or pick up the podcast at uh, wherever you pick up podcasts because mm-hmm. it's going to be there. That's I, it. You know, just one last note. Yes, sir. For any of those of you out there that feel like celebrating by pouring yourself a glass of snake eye and kicking it back, yee There you go. All right, that's it for this show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk again. So long. So long. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 